Dr. Deborah Bernhard has an extraordinary list of accomplishments in her academic career. Along with a number of fellowships and awards, Deborah has held research appointments at the University of Basel in Switzerland, Australian National University and Griffith University. After spending a number of years in teaching and in management roles, Deborah made a conscious decision to return to focus on research, a decision that led her to the University of Queensland. In our conversation today, we talk about the different hats an academic wears in their professional life and the importance of regularly asking yourself, is what I'm doing right now what I want to keep doing? I'm Dr. Kirsty Short, and you're listening to Women in Science, a podcast series from the University of Queensland. Welcome, Deborah. It's a pleasure to have you here. I'd like to start today's interview by really asking you when you first knew you wanted to do science. That's a hard question because I think I always wanted to do science. I really enjoyed science at school, at high school. I had a great science teacher in year 11 and 12. So I guess that's when it really clicked that this was a career I could do. I grew up in Newcastle, so there was a lot of industry there. Mm. And so my plan was to do industrial chemistry because that was a place where you could get a job and I thought it would be a great career. I enjoyed chemistry. I remember when I was quite young, I wanted a chemistry set for Christmas. Nice, nice. (laughs) And my parents weren't so sure that this was something I really, really, really wanted. And so I had to go and visit somebody else who had a chemistry set and see what it was really like. And And was the chemistry set worth it? It was great. It was really fun. I, I went through all the instructions and followed the little booklet and did all the experiments. And then I had some chemicals left over and I just mixed them all up together to see what would happen. Maybe this is why your parents didn't want to be in the chemistry set. <laughs> so it was quite fun. Yeah, yeah. So that was, yeah, high school. I enjoyed, I enjoyed science at high school. When I went to university, I decided that I would study science, yeah. So did you find it even more enjoyable once you got to university as you could start to specialise or what was your sort of university Uh, experience like? Yeah, so I guess the first year of university was challenging. Mm. I really had enjoyed school and done well. And then I guess in university, you didn't get the sort of direction that I had been used to Mm. and I was a little bit lost. So I did physics, chemistry, psychology and maths in first year at uni. I mean, the facilities and things were much better than I'd had at school. So that was good. But I didn't really know what was expected of me, I think, was the problem in first year. Mm. And so enjoyed the physics lectures. They went through and derived all these equations and things. Then I went into the exam, had learned how to derive all the equations, and actually I had to apply the equations. In those days, we didn't have equation sheets, so... I'd learned how to derive them, but I didn't know what the end result was. And so I had to derive them before I could do the problems, which oh wasn't, wasn't... So I think I was a little bit lost mm. in first year. But by the time I got to second year, third year, I started enjoying the work, learning new things and seeing lots of different types of science that I wasn't necessarily just going to be a chemical engineer anymore or an industrial chemist. I could see that there was possibilities about learning more about the in-depth science, I guess. And then what motivated you to go on to do a PhD? I was looking for some positions in industry still then. One of my lecturers, who I didn't end up doing a PhD with, said when I was doing honours, I I did an honours project which was quite theoretical, And the other lecturer, who I wasn't doing honours with, sort of said to me, I can see you really love this. You should do a PhD. And I thought, 
yeah, I do love doing this. Mm. Maybe I can do a PhD. Then I, I went and applied and I was able to. There was never a plan to, you know, even do honours. There was never a plan to do a PhD and go into academia at that stage. It was yeah, still finish my studies and, and get a job in industry. Mm. And after your PhD, you did various postdocs and then moved to Griffith to become director of the Microelectronics and Nanotechnology Centre. Could you talk a little bit about what this job was like, what did it entail, what skills did you need? Yeah, I moved to Griffith in 2000. At that time, I was a standard academic role teaching research and service. During that time, some centres were established. So in 2009, there was an opportunity for a new centre to form. So I'd been there at Griffith for quite a while and I'd been part of a centre, but then there was a possibility for a merger of two centres and they were looking for a director of the new centre. And I was asked if that would be something I would be interested in. I guess the work that was done at QMNC and still is, is quite commercially focused and I hadn't done any of that at the time. But the people that were sort of talking to me about this position said, there's people that can support you with the commercialisation. There's people that can support you with, you don't have to do everything. Mm, mm. And so I was a bit concerned about that. But in the end, it was good, actually. So the centre was funded a lot and still is from industry as well as from ARC and the standard places. But that was something I'd never been involved in, having to get funding for people. So that was challenging. Sometimes it worked better than others, Mm. but it had a very supportive environment there. And yeah, it was really interesting. And it was very exciting when the industry was interested in in some of the work that was done in my centre. And one of the best things about being the director compared to just a standard academic was that then I had a whole heap of people and, and I was pleased by all their successes, Mm. whereas before I was very much more focused on how I did. I mean, of course, you're happy when your colleagues do well as well, but here it was a whole heap of people and I could try to support them to do well as well. And that was very, very enjoyable. And Did you find that leadership role came naturally to you? No, I don't think so, but I I think I... well, Well, maybe, because I don't think I really made an effort to change what I was doing. Mm. I was just looking after and working with a, a larger group of people. I got good advice from the more senior people at Griffith University and others about how to you know, manage a group of people and you know, things like being prepared when you go into a meeting with your group of people, have an idea of what the outcomes you want from the meeting before you go in there. I probably hadn't really thought about that and mm. it's very obvious with hindsight. And of course, that might not be where you land at the end of the meeting, but at least you'll land somewhere. So things like that, just little bits of advice from people along the way were, was really helpful. And so after that, you made a conscious decision to focus back in on research and move to UQ. What drew you back to research and how did you manage that transition? Yeah, okay. So while I was at Griffith, I was still still maintained my own research program, which was a bit on the side of the centre's focus, but still I had a couple of postdocs and a really great group at the time, actually. But I could see that there was this fork in the the, the uh, career. So I was doing the research and I was doing the more administrative role. Mm. And I could see that if I stayed at Griffith, I would probably move more into that management role rather than do the research. And there were lots of other sort of 
matters that contributed. I had kids at high school at the time and I was spending a bit of time down at Gold Coast campus. So that was a bit challenge to be home for them when there was meetings on down Mm. at the campus, whereas an academic research role is a little bit more flexible. So there were lots of considerations, but yeah, I I think it was a lot that for, do I want to stay doing research for a while or would I like to go into a more administrative role? And yeah, I decided that it was a good time to take the opportunity to do a more research-focused position and that wouldn't be something I could do later. Was that a sort of easy transition back or did you Yeah, did you I think so. I think so. I'd been at UQ before, so that was quite helpful in that I knew people and mm. I knew a little bit about how UQ worked. I think always when you change from one university to another or one position to another, there's some things which are great. You don't know all the, the difficulties and the politics and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So that's a really good thing. Blissfully naive. Yeah, blissfully naive. And that so that's good. But there's also the challenge you don't know the politics. Mm. You don't know you don't know how to achieve things when you need to achieve things. So there's a little bit of a learning curve there. But yeah, I brought a couple of the postdocs that I had had at Griffith with me. We had a small group. It was also, there was a group here who were working in a similar field to me, not the same, and the group leader had left for another position. And so there were a a number of postdocs and and people who'd been here for quite a while, and I was brought in as their supervisor Mm. as well. They were really great people, really good researchers. So I I had a ready-made group here, It did mean a little bit of a change in direction of research for me because I had been doing quite fundamental work at Griffith in my own research program, whereas when I joined AIBN, part of the role was to work closely with the experimental groups and to do more applied computational theoretical research. And so that was a little bit of a change, but it was good because it brought together a lot of the work I'd done in the past. I'd done all theoretical and computational research, but in different aspects of it. And this kind of brought those all together and then applied them to some problems, allowed me to have some good collaborations with the experimental groups here. And so, yeah, I was happy with the decision I'd made. I Mm. never regretted that. Mm. Looking forward, I'd be very interested in hearing your thoughts on what you see for the future of science. And I know this is a really big picture question, but what do you see as scientists are going to be our big challenges in the next 10 years and and what do you think are going to be our best assets? Mm, Yeah, so of course there's a lot of big problems at the moment that need to be solved across all aspects of society and a lot of them can be assisted by science. I mean, the medical problems, the pollution problems. So there's a big role for scientists in solving those problems. So I think that, you know, it's a great time to be a scientist, but the challenge is the funding for that work Mm. and the recognition by people who aren't scientists that science is a way to solve problems, not a way to create problems. So I think that that's, that is a bit of a challenge. I think it's great that applied research is being supported and it's being encouraged, but I'm a little afraid that the fundamental science isn't being as appreciated as it might be. Mm. And I think that, at least in Australia, and I think that we need to also make sure that 
we don't lose sight of that because not every solution has got some fundamental science that will enable it to be solved. And so having a good balance between the two types of science is, is important. As a scientist, I mean, the, the problem-solving skills that scientists learn I think are useful, not just in science, mm. but more broadly. And so I think that a lot of our scientists will move and are moving out of science. And that's not a bad thing. It's mm. because they've learned these skills to solve problems in a logical and rational way. And that's useful to be applied in every area. Yeah, I'm always a, a big fan of science uh, scientists getting into politics and applying some rational, you know, evidence-based <laughs> yeah, that's approaches right. there. That's so. right, yeah. All right, well, I think that brings us on to our rapid-fire questions. I'd like to start by asking if you could tell us which woman or women have been the biggest influence in your life. Yeah, so that's an interesting question that I've thought about quite a bit. It's been lots of women and... <laughs> It's really hard to, to answer it, but I, if I have to bring it down to the person that I can sort of stands out is my mother. She enjoyed science and she wasn't a scientist. She was a primary school teacher, then a high school remedial reading teacher. But she, she was confident with science and with maths and she was a great mentor mm. and a, a good example, a yeah. great example. Yeah, so. And obviously a strong believer in education, which yes, makes a big yes, difference. Yes, that's right. That's right. Do you think if we reflect on the situation for women in science currently, do you think today we're facing fewer gender-related obstacles or do you think just the gender-related obstacles are different compared to the generations before us? I think they're different and I think that it's different depending on which work environment you're in. I think one of the challenges at the moment is that some workplaces are very conscious of what good behaviour is, and some aren't, and particularly in some other countries, the situation is different. So going to a conference and things like that, I think we have to be very aware that mm. we might not be treated the way that we would be expected to be treated in our own workplace. I think things have improved in general, but it's still quite a challenge, I think. Yeah, no, I would agree with that, that we've come a long way, but we still have a ways to go. Mm. And finally... Could you leave us with one piece of advice that you would offer to the next generation of scientists coming through? Mm -hmm. So I think you can make a difference and if you work well, you can achieve things. But also, you know, you only live once and enjoy the rest of your life as well, not just at the workplace. Respect yourself, be kind to yourself and to others and you can make a difference. That's a lovely message to finish. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks very much, Kirsty. You've been listening to Women in Science, a podcast series from the University of Queensland. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by Dr. Malu Stecker and Dr. Marina Fortes. Technical production is by Daniel Seed. I'm Dr. Kirsty Short. Thanks for listening.